Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, we read, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. The Sermon on the Mount, remember, is one of the most loved and studied passages in all of the New Testament. The theme, true righteousness, as opposed to false righteousness. The purpose to describe the laws of God's kingdom and the spiritual principles that are to govern our lives and that are to govern us in that kingdom. Jesus has spoken about our character, poverty of spirit, humility, mourning, sorrow over sin, meekness, waiting before God for his mercy, hungering and thirsting, asking for God's righteousness, merciful, a willingness to condemn ourselves rather than condemn others, purity of heart, peacemakers, persecuted. We are salt and light. We're to put off sin. Jesus has addressed the issues of putting off anger in verses 21 through 26, putting off lust in verses 27 through 32. And now he's going to encourage us to put off lying in verses 33 through 37. Citizens in God's kingdom tell the truth. Christians are supposed to be men and women who tell the truth. C.S. Lewis wrote, a man can't always be defending the truth. There must be a time to feed on the truth. By the way, if you rarely feed on the truth, you will be ill-equipped to defend it when the time comes. In this passage, we're going to learn the reason for telling the truth. We're going to also briefly look at the rabbinic tradition for telling the truth. And we're going to also be looking at our responsibility to tell the truth. So let's begin in verse 33, the reason for telling the truth. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. What he is doing is he's making reference to the Old Testament citations in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. The law of Moses contained several prohibitions against swearing falsely by the name of God. Two vows are given in verse 33. If you look carefully 
it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear. Here, the word doesn't mean cuss words or it doesn't mean foul language, although the Bible prohibits cuss words and foul language. The word here means to perjure yourself. The word here means to swear falsely when you're in a circumstance that demands or commands or requires you to tell the truth. The second word, oath, he shall perform your oaths to the Lord, was a word that meant to enclose something or to fence something in. The idea was that this is a word that you use to make sure that you are careful to surround whatever it is you're saying with the truth. The truth of an oath or a vow is enclosed or bound or therefore strengthened by what is invoked on its behalf. So to swear by God or to swear in God's name meant that he was the witness that you were telling the truth. And some of the religious leaders would try to avoid the impropriety of swearing in the name of God by substituting heaven or substituting earth or substituting Jerusalem or substituting their own head. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to explore and expose their hypocrisy for those who wanted or needed wiggle room to continue to tell lies or outright lies. Richard Nixon is famous for a lot of things, but Richard Nixon is hardly remembered for this quote. Listen carefully. He said, let us begin by committing ourselves to the truth to see it like it is, to tell it like it is, to find the truth, to speak the truth, to live the truth. And when a person talks like that, when they say, let's work together to find the truth, to know the truth, to speak the truth, to love the truth, you expect that kind of a person to tell the truth. All cultures and societies need a way to get to the truth. And you can imagine if you are a husband or a wife, if you are a teacher, if you're living in this great big world, you need a way to get to the truth. In a very real sense, the desire for truth is a desire for God. Even the deist Thomas Jefferson wrote that quote, truth is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Oddly enough, your unbelieving family, your unbelieving friends, the people who you come in contact every single day, even they understand that there are times when you need the truth. In a literal rendering of the third commandment of the Ten Commandments, it reads, Thou shalt not lift up the name of Jehovah thy God to vanity or falsehood, to lift up Hashem, the name, was a phrase that meant to swear by it, 
An oath was an appeal to God. So an oath was a way of saying, I call God as my companion in what is being said. So why do people swear to God? Or why do people appeal to God? Usually it's to strengthen a statement. In courts, sometimes people are called on to raise their hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why do we do that? Why do people say, I swear to God? Usually it's because they're liars. Usually because their life consists of two broad categories. Things that they say falsely so that they have to call upon God. It's their way of saying, I know most of the time I don't really tell the truth, but this time I really am. Because we live in a world where we've come not to expect people to tell the truth, but we expect people to lie to us. We expect the mechanic to lie to us. You've all heard the statement, when do you know a lawyer is lying? It's when his lips are moving. We expect the mechanic to lie. We expect the government to conceal the truth. We expect the butcher who cuts our meat in the store to lightly place her thumb on the scale. We expect the advertisers to lie about their product. We've come to discover that educational facilities sometimes mix truth with error. Science and medicine and media lie. Parents lie. Even churches sometimes lie. So who can you expect to tell the truth? An elderly woman, a wealthy woman, was very happy with her chauffeur. And he was courteous and he was prompt and he was efficient. And the only complaint that she had was concerning his, his personal appearance. And one day she said to him diplomatically, Randall, how often do you think that one should shave in order to look neat and proper? And the chauffeur said, well, madam, also trying to be diplomatic, with a light beard such as yours, I'd say every three or four days would be enough. Someone said that men were born to lie and women were born to believe them. Lying is nothing new. It's as old as the serpent in the Garden of Eden. In John chapter 8, verse 44, you'll remember that Jesus will later say, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Remember what Jesus is basically saying. Satan invented lies. And he is both the father and the inventor of lies. And remember, remember what a lie is. It is something that is a departure from the truth. So why are we shocked? If Satan is the father of lies, if Satan is in charge of this world system, then why does the presence of so much deceit shock us? Truth is a precious commodity in short supply. 
We live, we know, in a broken world. And we know that no matter how corrupt or broken, there needs to still be a mechanism. There still needs to be a way to get to the truth. The Bible made a provision for getting to the truth. And so therefore, the Bible made a provision to make sure that the truth was being told and a punishment for a perjurer. For instance, if the penalty for adultery was stoning and if a person was accused of of adultery and if a person was falsely accused and it was discovered that it was a false accusation, in that particular culture and society, if you falsely accused of someone of something and it was discovered that you falsely accused them, you would get the penalty that they deserve. So imagine, imagine if you accuse someone of murder and they didn't really kill somebody and it was discovered that you falsely accused them of murder, you could be put to death. If you falsely accused someone of stealing, then you would have to make whatever compensation was appropriate under those circumstances. Can you imagine living in a world where lying contained catastrophic circumstances. Can you imagine if every politician, if every mechanic, if every single person was tasked with telling the truth and if they didn't tell the truth, then they would have to accept the consequences. The Bible understands and even our culture and society understands that without truth, justice is impossible. Even in motorcycle gangs and street gangs, there's a code of honor. People know that lying and stealing, even if they lie and steal as a way of life, do you think in gangs people expect honesty and integrity in their dealings with each other? You've heard it. What it's, it's called honor among thieves. They insist on truth with each other for their own survival. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, we read, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. The reason people swear is to give credibility to what is being said. So again, in ancient times, there were two kinds of oaths. One was called a bound oath. The other was an unbound oath. A bound oath was one in which you were legally required to tell the truth. And some of you understand this concept if you've ever had to deal with the judicial system and this legal issue of perjury. And so the Bible makes it abundantly clear that if a person calling upon or naming the name of God, they were in effect asking God to be their witness. They were asking God to be their their judge. If it was a lie, it was an invitation for God to judge the liar. And that's why the oath was the end of all dispute. It was an ancient way of saying, this is the end of our discussion. 
So God provided for oaths made in his name, Leviticus 19.12. Abraham confirmed his promises to the king of Sodom in Genesis chapter 14, verse 22, and to Abimelech in chapter 21, verse 23, in oaths made in the name of God. And so there is a a constant revelation that takes place throughout the Old Testament of Old Testament characters swearing oaths that they were going to perform certain tasks or functions. Even God himself swore by himself in Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. Remember, it says, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore to Abraham. He said, your seed shall possess the gates of its enemies. The writer of Hebrews explains, since God could swear by no no greater, he swore by himself. Why does he do, do this? Does God swear because he's not accustomed to telling the truth? No. God swears to strengthen the promise and make sure that it is beyond all doubt. Whenever God says anything, it's truthful and binding. So why then would God swear? When God swears, it's for emphasis and permanence. When Jesus says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or I'm telling you the truth, It doesn't mean that everything else that he said wasn't true. What he is doing is what has always happened in the Old Testament. Permanence. Emphasis. So why did God in the Old Testament allow circumstances for people to make vows or to take oaths? Again, it's because of the evil, sinful nature of human beings. Human beings are prone to lie and to keep people from dishonoring God falsely, to keep people from calling upon his name or cursing his name, there were these provisions. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the very first sentence as you open the book reads this way. Americans lie. They lie more than we ever imagined, even when we began this study. But they told us the truth about how much they lie. (laughs) The book goes on and it says, just about everyone lies. 91% of us lie regularly. The majority of us find it hard to go through a week without lying, unquote. The deist Voltaire famously said, I'm very fond of the truth, but I am not fond of martyrdom. This was Voltaire's way of saying, I really would like to live in a world where we tell the truth to each other, but I've come to realize that if I tell everyone the truth, every time somebody's going to kill me. And so there was a rabbinic tradition for telling the truth. Remember, there were two kinds of vows and oaths. Those that were bound where you had to tell the truth and those where there was some kind of wiggle room. So the religious leaders and the rabbinic authority believed 
and this is them, quote, the world stands fast on three things, justice, truth, and peace, unquote. And since the law allowed for oaths, the Jewish community had developed a hierarchy of values for swearing, a pattern which made some statements more binding than others. And since the law of Moses allowed for oaths, people would sometimes use oaths in wrong ways. <laughs> Let me give you an example. There was a man. This is a, a, at, a, at, a, at a time when um, they didn't have lights at railroad crossings. And they would have a, a, a human being who would stand in front of the railroad crossing and they would hold up a light and they would swing the lantern back and forth and back and forth. And there was an accident at this railroad crossing and the person who held the lantern was called uh, to testify. And the attorney asked him, were you there? And he said, yes, sir. He said, did you have your, the, the, the lantern in your hand? He said, yes, sir. Did you swing it back and forth? And he said, yes, sir. And then he went down and he sat down and under his breath, he said, I'm so glad they didn't ask me if it was lit. See, but you, you understand something. The expectation is that you're going to tell the truth. Did he tell the truth? Yes, but did he tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? The religious leaders and some people failed to realize there were only certain circumstances that really necessitated an oath. To the Jew, almost any kind of an oath would be used for any reason, just as long as it was not false and, and the person would, would fulfill it. So the, the missing ingredient of a serious circumstance led to frivolous, meaningless oath-taking, which completely vitiated or gutted the purpose for real oaths. People would declare anything and promise anything with an oath while leaving no qualms about providing a means for which uh, lying or breaking their word could still be done. Indiscriminate and insincere oaths became so commonplace that no one took them seriously. And so instead of being a mark of integrity, it became a mark of deceit, just like in the real world in which you live. If a person looks at you and they say, I'm telling you the truth, what's the first thing that you think about? They're probably lying. So oath-taking became lie-making. Instead of prompting confidence, it prompted skepticism. Instead of a mark of integrity, it became a sign of deceit. So I want you to think this through. If something were really true, they would swear by God. If something were less than true, they would swear by something else. Honest vows to the Lord had to be kept. But all other vows were brittle and breakable. Oath-taking became lie-making. People would swear on their mother's grave. They would swear on their father's eyes. They would swear on their children's lives. They would swear by the temple. They would swear by the furniture in the temple. That means the golden menorah or the table of showbread or the Ark of the Covenant or the mercy seat. Some people would swear by the hairs on their head. The command 
you shall not swear falsely by my name in Leviticus 19.12 was conveniently interpreted to mean that swearing by anything else was allowed. And you might be thinking, really? Yeah. This was a kind of a Jewish cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, and all the while you have your little fingers crossed behind your back. By the way, in our culture and society, when a person crosses their fingers and puts it behind their back, what's, what's, what does that mean in our culture and society? It means, I'm telling you the truth, but not really. Why this elaborate system that would allow for deception? You know the answer if you're honest with yourself. You already know the answer. You know the answer that you're afraid to say out loud, but we have to say out loud. Because people want to lie. And people still want to lie. People don't want to be dragged down by God's absolute standard of the truth because, well, it sounds so absolute. Instead of asking God or begging God to say, well, Lord, will you please help me to tell the truth? They would dumb down the standard. Josh Billings wrote, quote, I never knew an auctioneer to lie unless he absolutely had to. You understand the point. And so Jesus will get to the responsibility to tell the truth. Look at verse 34. It says, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. When Jesus says, but I, swear, but I say to you, do not swear at all, does that mean that there's never an appropriate time to take an oath in legal circumstances? I'm going to suggest to you that I don't think that that's what this passage is saying. I think that what Jesus is in effect saying is that he's calling for honesty in ordinary conversation that when in ordinary conversation you shouldn't have to say I swear to God or I swear to you it should be that in ordinary conversation you tell the truth and this is why again some people in court don't swear on a bible but they'll rather affirm to tell the truth some people have taken verse 34 where Jesus says but I say to you do not swear at all they won't swear at all. Mennonites, Quakers, others refuse to swear at all. Again, Jesus isn't denying the importance of oaths or that an oath doesn't serve a legitimate or cultural function, but rather, well, William Hendrickson puts it this way, quote, what we have here in Matthew 5, through 37 is the condemnation of the flippant, the profane, the uncalled for, the often hypocritical oath used in order to make an impression or to spice up the conversation, unquote. Jesus is simply saying, tell the truth. Tell the truth in normal conversation. Your character should be your guarantee. So again, why do people lie? 
And is anyone interested in the truth? Again, in the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the authors write, quote, It all started with this simple observation, a fact of research life. But that desire is tempered by the realistic fear that telling the truth will get them into trouble with their spouses. Telling the truth will get them into trouble with their boss, with their parent, with their friend, with their neighbor. So people rarely find anyone they trust enough to let all of their precious defenses down, unquote. They discovered that people tell lies for lots of reasons. We lie to protect ourselves. We lie thinking that we're protecting others. We lie sometimes to have power over others. We lie sometimes to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. We act in anger. We act in lust. We set in motion a devastating chain of events. Serious lies hurt people, violate trust, and sometimes have legal consequences. Famously, George Stephanopoulos on the Larry King show years ago let slip, quote, the president has kept all the promises he intended to keep. We laugh, don't we? When a person says the president kept all the promises he intended to keep, what does that leave you with the impression? that promises fall into two categories, those that I know that I will keep and those that I knew that I never would. And so in verse 35, when Jesus says, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. What is it that Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, stop trying to dumb down the standard. Tell the truth. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem were all ways of trying to make truth speaking not so serious. Well, I didn't really swear to God, I swore to heaven. I didn't really swear to God, I swore in the name of the earth. I really didn't swear to God, I swore by Jerusalem. What does all of this have in common? All of these things were grand. All of these things were important. An appeal to the things in heaven are, is an appeal to things that are holy. And again, the point is to strengthen a person's willingness to believe you in what is being said. The whole purpose of the oath was to tell the truth. And so why does the Bible have this? Because in the Old Testament, it was their version of Truth in advertising, truth in lending, truth in selling. Do we have laws in our own culture and society? Truth in advertising, truth in lending, truth in selling. When you're entering into an important negotiation, if you're acquiring a house, if you're acquiring some asset, if, you're, if there's some sort of transaction that's being made that requires absolute truthfulness, can you see why laws are made? Attorneys phrase things not always to get at the truth, but sometimes to conceal the truth. By the way, attorneys aren't the only ones who are guilty. They're just a little more practiced. 
Campaign ads are geared not to reveal the truth, but to conceal the truth. The point that Jesus is making is that God is the creator of all things. God owns everything. God is a God of truth. And even in these examples, the people are swearing by, Jesus says, note, it is God's heaven. It is God's earth. It is God's holy head, city. And your head whether your hair is real or fake or dyed, whether you have some hair or no hair, whatever is on top of your head still belongs to God. And some people might read this text and say, look, this is proof positive the Bible can't be true. Jesus is wrong. You can make your hair black or white. I have a beautician. I know you can. All it takes is a little dye. With the right hair coloring, and beautician, your world can be different. But again, that's not the point of the passage. This may come as a shock and a surprise to you. Do you realize that in the world of the first century, they had wigs? Did you know that? Did you know that in the first century, men and women could dye their hair? Jesus is saying... Not whether or not a person can dye their hair or not dye their hair. When Jesus says you can't make your hair white or you can't make your hair black, it's, it's Jesus' way of saying God made you. God made you the way that he made you. And if you change your hair color, by the way, is it possible that if you got Botox treatments and you started pumping Botox into your head or colored your hair or got a facelift or a life lift or whatever you want to call it. Is it possible that you could get all of these cosmetic changes and God in heaven go, I don't, I, sorry, I didn't recognize you. That's part of the point. No matter what cosmetic changes you make to yourself, you can't make yourself unrecognizable to God. Jesus knows the truth. Question. Do you think God likes it when you try to deceive him? That's the right answer. No, thank you for that. Thank, thank someone that had the courage to say, it makes perfect sense to me that God is in the truth business and he isn't a big fan of deceit. I'm going to ask you a harder question. Do people like to be deceived? It's a harder question. I think that there are some people who will tell you on the surface, please tell me the truth. Please tell me the truth. I want to know the truth. But when you tell them a lie, they are so quick to believe it. Why? Why is that the case? I'm going to suggest to you because people sometimes like to be deceived. And so in verse 37, when Jesus says, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Jesus is condemning promiscuous swearing. Jesus is condemning oath-taking in ordinary conversation. Jesus is condemning perjury, lying, and the sw- lying while you're swearing that you're telling the truth. 
So for the Christian and, and the citizen in God's kingdom, our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Why? Back to the theme of the, of the sermon itself. Does God care that you simply observe externally the rules that you technically told the truth, like the man who swears to tell the truth at the railroad crossing. Were you there? Yes. Did you wave the lantern? Yes. But the person fails to ask the most important question. Was the light on? William MacDonald writes, to use stronger language is to admit that Satan, the evil one, rules our lives. That's Jesus' words. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What is the Lord saying? Tell the truth. Our, our speech should be what W.H. Griffith Thomas calls strong, pure, True. Keep your answers simple. Lying answers usually are pretty complicated. In the FBI, we learn pretty quickly. The longer an answer is, the more likely it's not true. Did you know that? The longer an answer is, the more likely it's not true. The New American Standard says, let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. The word statement is logos. Let your word be yes or no. Every normal word should be truthful, unadorned, unqualified as to its truthfulness. Again, Jesus isn't interested in people covering up lies with hypocritical oaths. And Jesus also understands something else, that there's no such thing as an innocent lie. All lies are against God. All lies disturb God. All lies dishonor God. What have we already learned? Who's the father of lies? Who invented lying? Right. How does Satan lie? By corrupting, distorting, or denying the word of God. That's, that's what lying really is. Every lie has the net effect of honoring and glorifying Satan. If Satan is the original corrupter of truth, if lies honor him... If lies glorify him, how can they be anything less than worship of Satan? Since every lie is against God, and since every lie affirms the agenda of Satan. Truth doesn't contain 50 shades of gray. A half-truth is a whole lie. And God hasn't changed his standard. God requires truthfulness. And we've seen the, the standard concerning lust. We've seen the standard concerning divorce. Now we see the standard concerning lying. And so the psalmist wrote that God desires truth in the inward being. And anything 
And among the things that God hates is a lying tongue, Proverbs 6.16. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs 12.12. Jeremiah wept over Israel because lies and not truth prevail in the land, it says in Jeremiah 9.3. Revelation 21.8 contains this chilling warning, quote, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. According to the book of Revelation, the liar's final destination is a place of forever separation from the truth. Augsburger wrote, Jesus taught that swearing is unnecessary, irreverent, and ineffective in that it does not change anything. The critical issue is truthful speech. Jesus wants his community of disciples to practice truth in relation to society and especially among themselves. Truthfulness is an expression of inner security and integrity. So God's standard, truth. When a Christian speaks, it should be enough. And now for the bad news. Are you a liar? Let me give you hope. Paul says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, but what is good for edification. The Bible's simple solution for the liar isn't to just simply cease and desist lying. The Bible says it's not good enough to stop stealing. You have to start working. The Bible also says it's not good enough to stop lying, that you have to start telling the truth. And the Bible says that it's not even sufficient that you tell the truth, but the kind of truth that you tell in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It's wholesome and helpful. When does a liar cease to be a liar? Not simply when they close their mouth, but when they start telling the truth. I want to give you another thing to think about. Is there a lie that you have ever told that you wish to God you could take back? I don't expect you to blurt it out, and I don't want you to blurt it out. What I want you to do is I want you to reflect for just a moment and ask yourself the question, is there at least one thing that you've said that you wished you hadn't said. Maybe it was the lie that you really cared about someone when you really didn't. Maybe you told your parents you hated them, but you really didn't mean it. Maybe you simply didn't tell the truth when your sin was exposed. Whatever it was, and whatever you did, Jesus is still in the business of forgiving sin. Did you know that? He's in the business of washing and cleansing and restoring. What's the most serious lie 
someone has told you? What is the most serious lie that someone has told you? I'm going to suggest that no matter which lie you pick, unless it includes a component that God doesn't love you or that God doesn't care about you or that there's no hope for you, that's the biggest lie that you could ever be told. The biggest lie that you could ever be told is that the Bible's not real, that Jesus isn't true, that, he, that his love isn't real, and that forgiveness isn't available to you. Someone, some of the most serious lies that have ever been told have caused people to turn from God and walk away from God and walk away from his love. By the way, if you want to stop lying, if you want to start telling the truth, I read a survey that said the majority of Americans, two in three, believe that there's nothing wrong with telling a lie. Only 31% believed honesty is the best policy. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Two out of every three Americans, when they were asked the question, Do you think it's okay to lie? Two and three said yes. Do you know what that means? That probably two and three don't want to stop. Let me ask you a few more questions before we close. Do you have a private life that you keep secret from your Christian family and friends? Are there things in your life that no one knows about, not even your closest friends? If a plastic surgeon offered you a free nose job or a new chin or some cosmetic procedure, would you take them up on it? If you broke something in a store, would you let the manager or someone know? Do you think people know the real you? Have you ever lied about your age or your income or your education or your spiritual condition? Are you lying right now? Arthur Schopenhauer wrote, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. Third, it's accepted as being self-evident. I think that that's a great statement because my reading of the New Testament is Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was violently opposed. And then something surprising happened. Jesus came back to life. And then it became surprisingly self-evident that everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did was true. I hope it's true and clear to you that God is in the business of changing, transforming. Now we begin to understand what this sermon is saying. God wants purity, peace, integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thanks for this time. Thanks for your love. Thanks for forgiveness. Lord, we know that there are times, there are important times that we can't hold on to things that are not true. We have to embrace what is in fact true. And for that person who has lived in constant turmoil, is the Bible true? Is God real? Does Jesus love me? Does his death matter? Is his resurrection a true historical event? And can I be saved? Can my sins be washed? Do I have even the slightest chance that I could live in the truth, walk in the truth? Lord, I pray that that person would come to the realization that there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing more true in the entire universe than everything you say and everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.